All right, welcome to Pickaxe and Roll, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Tuesday night, as we just wrapped up a pretty interesting day in the NBA. I wanted to use the first segment to kind of break that down, talk about it a little bit from the Nuggets perspective, but mostly just to kind of shine a light on what's going on in the NBA before getting into part two of our deep dive on the Denver Nuggets guard rotation. Uh, As I've mentioned before, going to be going through all the players, all the position groups, uh, doing it by position groups for each podcast. And this is part two, focused on Jamal Murray and others in part one. And now we're going to focus on Will Barton and others in part two tonight. So we're going to talk about that, but that's for segments two and three. For now, though, let's talk about what's going on in the NBA. Let's talk about the lottery that just happened tonight. And I don't know about you guys. I don't know about Nuggets fans and and how everybody's feeling in general. I sort of disconnect from the draft when Denver is going on a deep run. There are only so many things that I can really focus my time on, focus my energy on. Like, I want to be able to give everybody the best content possible for that given moment. And doing draft coverage during that time, doing draft prep during that time, very difficult for me. I have a lot of respect for the people that can handle both. It's actually, it's pretty impressive to be able to handle both. So I didn't even know who was going, like what the odds were heading into this thing, but I wanted to tune in. This is kind of the the advent moment, I would say, for me to be able to start the draft coverage process for, okay, Denver has the 26th pick. Got it. They're obviously not in the lottery, but who's at the top of the lottery? Who are some of these players that are going to be the future of the NBA and where are they going to go? So this is sort of how I approached it this time around. And and I got to watch the lottery tonight and it was pretty interesting to see the results. I'm not going to go all the way 11 through 14, but I'll talk about the top 10 right here. Um, Detroit Pistons, they get the first overall pick. Houston Rockets keep their pick. They could have possibly given that to the Oklahoma City Thunder, but they retained their pick. They're picking second. The Cleveland Cavaliers are picking third. Uh, They're in line to take a guard in all likelihood, but that's a little bit dangerous given how how much they've invested in guards in recent years. Toronto Raptors, they jump up from seventh to fourth, which I think is pretty fascinating given where they were. Orlando Magic. They keep their pick, but they were potentially going to draft high. They dropped a little bit, but they still have a top five pick there. Oklahoma City, they drop all the way down to six, and they don't get Houston's pick. So it was basically the worst case scenario for the for the Oklahoma City Thunder that this draft lottery it did not work out for them. They could have had two top five picks or two top six picks. Instead, they're getting the sixth overall pick, and that's it. Golden State is drafting seven. The Minnesota Timberwolves, that was going to be their pick if it was in the top three. But anything outside the top three, and it was going to go to to Golden State, uh, that's not surprising. And, And I think it's going to be interesting to see how Golden State uses that draft pick going forward. Uh, They could either draft somebody. They could trade it and then try to acquire some help for Steph Curry, Andrew Wiggins, uh, Clay Thompson, who's coming back, Draymond Green, of course. They've also got James Wiseman. So they have a couple of interesting pieces that they could send to a team 
that is in rebuilding mode. So keep that in mind. The Orlando Magic are drafting 8th as well as 5th. So they get number 5 and number 8. The 8th overall pick is from the Chicago Bulls trade that they did for Nikola Vucevic. The Bulls, they protected that thing, I think, top 7. So that pick actually, just because it crept down to 8, Orlando gets it. I think that's pretty interesting. Orlando gets two top eight picks in this draft as they commit to their rebuild. It's five and eight, so it's not like it's insane, but it is kind of cool. Last time that really happened, if I'm not mistaken, uh, was uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers. If I'm not mistaken, I think in 2011, they had the first overall and fourth overall pick. I don't know if it's happened since then that a team has had two top eight picks in the same draft. Number nine, Sacramento Kings, they don't get any help. Number 10, New Orleans Pelicans, they don't get any help. And then the other teams kind of at the bottom, you've got Charlotte, San Antonio, uh, and a couple of other teams that I'm not even going to go into right now. But start with the Pistons. I think this is really good for them. Obviously, like they're going to get the inside track to get the best player in this draft at first overall. We'll see whether they draft Cade Cunningham. That's who I assume they're going to pick. He's been the the consensus top player in this draft for most people. Some people would say Evan Mobley. Some people would would say Jalen Green or Jalen Suggs or whoever. Um, But it's going to be interesting to see because I think they need ball handling. And they need somebody who's a creator. The Pistons do. So getting somebody like a Cade Cunningham who is big enough that he can play the two next to Killian Hayes, but they're both ball handlers. They're both guys who can share the ball, share those responsibilities. That would be a good thing for them. Be a good thing for their long-term development. It's also really good for them, given that Blake Griffin, Andre Drummond, Reggie Jackson, the core that they had brought together for their only playoff appearance that got an eight seed and I believe was swept. Those guys got completely washed out, going their separate ways. Obviously, Reggie Jackson and Blake Griffin both made an impact in the playoffs. Andre Drummond did not, uh, but they made it for other teams. And the Pistons, I'm sure, were probably, especially their fans, were probably bittersweet about that. But yeah, adding a guy like Kate Cunningham to Jeremy Grant, Sadiq Bey, Killian Hayes, Isaiah Stewart. It could potentially jumpstart their rebuild, which is good for the league. You don't want a team like that floundering for too long. Another thing, four of the top five picks are in the Eastern Conference, which I think is fascinating. I think you you really approach that from the, from the position of, hey, maybe you can balance out the conferences a little bit by giving some of these teams a leg up by giving them some of the top talented players in what a lot of people think is a really talented draft. A lot of people think that especially at the top, like the top five or six picks or so, could have a potential to be all really, really good. And if that's the case, then you're strengthening the Eastern Conference. None of the Western Conference teams get too strengthened. You're going to have your busts here or there, but the East should definitely benefit from this, uh, specifically Orlando, who gets two picks, Detroit, who gets the top pick, and uh, Toronto, who they were kind of bad uh, 
Like they they were definitely bad, but they were also kind of struck by the injury bug. They played this entire season in Tampa Bay, like as opposed to Toronto due to COVID protocols. Maybe it's possible that they retool. Maybe they use this as a as a piece to retool and restock their roster and get right back into the playoff mix. I think that's an interesting question. I'm going to have more discussion on Cade Cunningham, Evan Mobley, other guys like that as as we get closer to the draft here, but I think it's a good time to really just kick off that conversation. Uh, I'm going to be having draft profiles, interviews of with some of these draft experts, some people that if you follow them on Twitter, you're probably following them for the draft. I'll try to talk to as many people as I can uh, about this and, and share my thoughts as, as they come through, but we're going to be doing stuff on Denver Stiffs as well. We're going to be doing general draft discussion as well as some specific Nuggets discussion, which I'm sure people are hoping for. Uh, nothing at the top really changed too much for the Nuggets, who are drafting 26. But if they had to compete with, uh, I don't know, if Golden State got an even higher pick, then maybe they're drafting a, a piece that really makes it difficult for Denver already. Uh, or maybe it's another team that that has similar aspirations that can uh, leapfrog a little bit. But for now, I think Denver is mostly unaffected. We'll see what they ultimately do at 26, and we'll have more conversation on who they draft and who they could be drafting in the coming weeks. Let's pivot over to Suns Clippers. Uh, that game happened immediately after the lottery. Uh, the Suns, they went up 2-0 to zero in the series, and I've just really liked watching both of these teams. I know that Nuggets fans are not super stoked for the Suns, given that they just swept them, given that Suns fans have been a little bit, I will say, arrogant uh, in the face of all of this success. And whether they should be or not is irrelevant. Like, they've done it. And, and the Suns are just a really, really good team. And you see the execution from both of these teams, especially when they're playing well, when they're like in, in those final minutes, those teams are going back and forth with baskets. Luke Kennard was draining some impressive shots. Paul George hit some impressive shots. Devin Booker hit some impressive shots. DeAndre Hayton hit some impressive shots. All those guys just seemed to put it together. And uh, outside of the two missed free throws by Paul George, which were the difference, uh, I think that this was this was a really, really great game. And it's too bad for the Clippers that they couldn't split uh, on the final, final play. Well, not the final, final play, but the last play that the Suns had to get the ball in bounds. DeAndre Ayton goes over the top and, and crams in a dunk off of a lob, off of a great back screen by Devin Booker. Uh, got right into, uh, I think it was Avisa Zubac, but might have been somebody else, but Aiton just looks fantastic. He looks like a great, great basketball player. And you can see why they drafted him first overall. You can see the talent. You can see the skill set. Just how he has really become solid at everything. He doesn't really have a major weakness in his game anymore. Maybe it's the passing, the decision making off the pick and roll. But he's improving on that too. And if you leave him too much space trying to make him uh, force him to make a decision, he'll hit the mid-range jumper too. He's got great touch. I've just been really impressed with Aiton. Been really impressed with the entire Suns team, frankly. 
Uh, Cameron Payne just gives you exactly what you need when Chris Paul goes down. And that's a, a great sign for the Suns' championship hopes that they've got now three guards that play like all-stars in these very important moments. Devin Booker, Paul George, they weren't on their A games today. But they still, and the Suns still went up 2-0. And it really just starts to feel like Phoenix's year here, where you get back Chris Paul for game three, you're already up 2-0, you hit the very important game two shot to stay ahead. And now you get back a player who collected MVP votes, rightly or wrongly, uh, for a very, very important game three, which if they win that game three and go up 3-0, then the series is over. The Clippers will fold at that point. If the Clippers come back and they win game three and maybe they try to make it a series here, then that, that would surprise me. I, for one, have money on the Suns potentially doing a 4-0 sweep, because I think it's likely at this point. But it really does feel like Phoenix's year. On top of just playing excellent basketball right now, they, they've made the plays when they need to make them. They've executed really well. And they're also facing teams that missed Anthony Davis, that missed Jamal Murray, and the Clippers certainly now are missing Kawhi Leonard. It's not an excuse. It's not a reason to say that the Suns wouldn't have won those series, even with those players in the lineup. But they might have faltered here or there had any of those guys been back, uh, especially Davis, given that they were down in that series and that Davis just was dominating until he got hurt. But even Murray, even Denver just having Murray would have made a big difference, as Nuggets fans know, so... It's not a slight, it's just, I think, a very strong possibility. The West is really difficult. They have all the best teams. It's always been clear to me. The Suns were one of those teams. Jazz, a little bit of a fraud. Suns, not fraudulent. Solid all around. Very, very good. Booker, he's really elevating his game to new heights. He's just excellent all around now. Uh, making a lot of great defensive plays, setting pack screens for his teammates to get game-winning dunks. The offensive game is just so versatile. He makes the right decision almost every single time. There are times where he gets a little bit sped up, where he gets off balance, and then, then the Suns struggle a little bit. But his ability to kind of round back into form when the team needs him, superstar qualities. And there's little to no weakness in his offensive game. Just a very impressive player. When we come back, we are going to break down uh, the Denver Nuggets guards, Will Barton, Facundo Campasso, Austin Rivers, and Shaq Harrison. We'll be right back on Pickaxe and Roll. But first, this podcast, as you know, is sponsored by DraftKings Sportsbook. And it's not only my favorite sports book, but also the American top-rated sports book. If you're in Colorado, like me, if you're listening to this podcast, head over to DraftKings Sportsbook. They're going to put you courtside with a chance to turn $1 into $100 in free site credits. They're running that promo for all of their free users. But even if you're an existing user, they're also going to give you opportunities to get great deals on 
improved odds. Uh, if you place a certain number of bets, then you get free bets. DraftKings, they take care of their people. They take care of you. They give you a lot of great optionality. All you have to do, especially for this free promo, is pick the basketball team that is still in contention. I recommend the Suns. Bet $1, and if that team wins, you get $100 in free site credits. If you don't want to do basketball, there's baseball, hockey, golf, so much more. DraftKings, they are safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. All you have to do, download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code MHS when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 in free credits. That's right. $1 turning into $100 in free credits. That's promo code MHS. Only a DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. New customers only. Wager paid out in site credits. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. We'll be right back on Pickaxe and Roll. Pickaxe and Roll, Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much for tuning in. Said I would be breaking down the Nuggets guards, and that's what I'm going to do here. Going to probably spend about 30 minutes uh, breaking down Will Barton, Faku Campazzo, Austin Rivers, Shaq Harrison. Spent time on Murray, Morris, Dozier, and Howard on Monday. Forwards will be out on Friday. Going to talk about Michael Porter, Aaron Gordon, Jamichael Green, Bull Bull, Vlako Chanchar, hopefully with a special guest. Then I'm going to talk about the bigs on Monday. Nikola Jokic, Paul Millsap, JaVale McGee, and Zeke Naji, who I didn't know whether I was going to put him as forward or big. Decided on big because I think that's where he's going to play next year. I think he's going to be their primary backup center, which I think is going to be, should be interesting and something that Nuggets fans probably didn't expect me to say. But I'll save that for Monday for now. Let's talk about the Nuggets guards part two. Let's talk about Will Barton. Here's how this usually breaks down. I'm going to talk about what happened in each of these players' seasons, the biggest surprise that they had, biggest disappointment, grade their season, talk about what's next for them, and then we will go through all four of these players and then get you out of here. Will Barton is first. Here's what happened with Will. If you remember, he began the season on the bench. Denver started Jamal Murray. Gary Harris, Michael Porter, Paul Millsap, Nikola Jokic. That lineup stunk. It was really bad. There was not a lot to like about it. Not enough ball handling outside of Murray and Jokic. And not enough defense, given that Millsap was kind of playing up a position a little bit. Porter was playing up a position a little bit. And it just it just wasn't great. Uh, but MPJ goes down. He sits. Gary Harris gets injured. In that time, Barton, he starts taking over. He first starts taking over when MPJ goes down. But when Gary goes down, he he retains that starting position. Becomes the starting shooting guard pretty much permanently. Spends a little bit of time at small forward uh, when Porter was down. But also when they had Porter at the four, started Monte and Jamal together. Had a lot of those moments. And I think it stands to reason 
that it took a little bit of time for Will Barton to get into rhythm. Denver was kind of not in a rhythm themselves for a lot of the season. For the first 25 games or so of the year, it was tough for Will. It was tough for the Nuggets. It was tough for everybody. But once he got into that rhythm, he was putting up quality starter numbers. Basically, every day, he was putting up about 14 points, 4 rebounds, 3.5 assists. Shooting about 42% from the field, 38% from 3, 80% from the line. Those were about the numbers that he put up. And they're solid. They're not great. They're not perfect. But they're also not terrible. They're also like, they're just quality starter numbers. They're not all-star, but they're quality. He was finding his role. And he was having a solid season with Denver, had some high moments, had some low moments, but a lot of them high. Had that game against the Memphis Grizzlies where it's remembered that Nikola Jokic had 47, 15, and 8 or something like that. But Will Barton hit the game tying three in overtime in order to get the Nuggets to that point. And he took it with confidence, finished with 28 points in that game. It was a big Big-time performance from Will, and he has those throughout the year. But then he went down to Golden State in late April, basically like a week and a half, two weeks after Murray went down in Golden State in kind of mid-April. It sucked. Denver was without their top two starting guards during that time, and Barton missed a lot of time. There was speculation about whether he could get back, when he could get back, He missed all the first round, missed the first game of the second round, realized that Denver needed him against the Suns, and tried to gut it out in games two, three, and four. And something that I thought was pretty interesting, in those three games, Denver lost those three games by a combined 46 points, about on average about 15 points. Will Barton, when he was on the floor, was a plus two, and he played about We'll call it half of the minutes because he played about 15 minutes in game two, 25 in game three, 39 or something like that in game four. He played a lot. So he was a plus two. And in all other minutes, the Nuggets were a minus 48. Stands to reason that Will Barton had a positive impact in that series and would have had a, a positive impact like if he was able to start and play. For the entire time. But the thing is he wasn't. He wasn't able to do that. The biggest surprise for Will Barton this year. Was just being a major factor. In that Murray, Barton, Porter, Gordon, Jokic lineup. I didn't think that he would play and start. And and do as much in that lineup as he did. Murray sometimes took a step back. Jokic sometimes took a step back. Porter sometimes took a step back. Barton stayed aggressive in those lineups, and he was clearly the fourth option, don't get me wrong. But because he stayed aggressive, people were forced and teams were forced, defenders were forced to respect him, respect his scoring, his playmaking. It helped the others along the way. He was also a bigger factor defensively because he was guarding other shooting guards, playing a switching defense as opposed to having to deal with bigger guys all the time. He only had to do it sometimes. That was a good thing for Will, and it really stands out that if if Denver's in that position where he's the starting shooting guard again, and you've got Porter, Gordon, and Jokic, 
you got a pretty big lineup. It's at least more athletic and, and more versatile and switchy than, than it usually was. Than it was when Denver had to start Faku Campazo and Austin Rivers. Barton's a little bit bigger than Austin Rivers. A little bit longer. Biggest disappointment of Will's season was marred by injury. Another playoff run. It's his third in a row. And it's a really tough sign that things are really going to slow down for Will. That people don't know like what he has left. And I assume that he's going to be more of the same for the next two to three years of his career. He's going to be a guy who can do stuff, but maybe you want him as a, as a bench option going forward. Or maybe like specific teams would want him as a starter, but other teams might not. He's kind of in that weird place where you don't want to have to rely on him too much because your team probably isn't that good at that point. And he might get hurt. That's really too bad. The other disappointment is finishing at the rim this year. It's really bad. I said it pretty much all season that it's just a sign of declining athleticism. It's just a sign of like a, a lack of confidence driving to the rim. Maybe a little bit of hesitance. It's not something that Denver could really control. It's not something that Barton can really control. But if it's a fact of life, then that could be a sign that, hey, maybe the Maybe the decline is not that far from now in terms of statistical brilliance. Barton's grade on the year. I'm giving him a C. I think this was par for the course with Will Barton. Had some great moments, helped Denver win some games, was a positive in the locker room, somebody who was a leader, could help move Denver in the right direction, had some good moments on both sides of the ball. But he ultimately had a season that was marred by injury. There are ultimately some things that he can't do. The fact that he's 6'5 and not 6'8 is a big problem for Denver at times. It's not something he can control. But that is something that maybe is a factor here. What's next for Will? He's going to decide what he wants to do with his player option. Um, he recently changed agents to CAA, uh, Creative Artist Agency. Pretty sure that's what that stands for. Uh, and when you change agents, especially to a major, uh, a major agency, you want to negotiate a new deal. You're not just going to pick up your player option. You're wanting to try to find a long-term situation that makes the most sense for you, whether that's getting money whether that's getting a starting role, whether that's getting uh, championship aspirations, I, I don't know. Uh, Will is going to have to decide what matters to him, and that might not mean the Nuggets. It might mean somebody else. CAA, they have ties to New York, and the Knicks, they could certainly pitch Barton. They could certainly use Barton for sure. I could definitely see them making a run at him. Maybe not as a starter, but, or maybe it would be as a starter. Maybe you start him and, uh, what's it called? What's he called? Oh, gosh. Uh, the lefty, RJ Barrett, excuse me. Um, 
maybe you start him and RJ Barrett together and you stagger those guys and you always have some sort of ball handling wing on the floor. It's not a bad sign. If you're New York, they, they struggled to score in the playoffs and Barton would certainly help them there. But if it's not New York, it could be another of a number of other teams. Could be Dallas, could be Miami, could be Memphis, could be Toronto, could be somebody else. We don't know. That's for Will to, to decide. And I am going to give all of these free agents, all these guys that if you expect Denver to retain them, that's fine. But after Jeremy Grant left to go to Detroit, I am going to assume that players are going elsewhere from now on. It might not be true. It might, I might get some information that says otherwise. But I'm going to always assume from Denver's perspective that they have to account for other situations. Because Denver was left holding the bill last year and weren't able to pay for Jeremy Grant. That was a tough situation. Okay, let's move to Shaq Harrison quickly. Less to talk about with Shaq Harrison. Here's what happened with this season. He was signed basically as a as a brief replacement for somebody who could help Denver get through the regular season, help them finish the season. He wasn't a major rotation player, but he did average 16 minutes per game. And I think 16, 17 games, something like that. It's like the final 20%. He signed with Denver just before Austin Rivers, providing some guard insurance. Uh, When Denver had all of those guards go down at the same time, you knew they were going to sign somebody. You knew they were going to try to replace uh, Murray, Barton, Morris, Dozier, all those guys. And what really stood out with Shaq is his defense was incredible. There were definitely no questions about his defense. He busts his butt, has great hips has great hands, the ability to get his hands in passing lanes, but also the ability to mirror his feet, move in front of whoever he is guarding, make sure they don't get an easy path to the basket. Defense was incredible. The lack of jump shooting, difficult to manage, really difficult. And so much so that in the playoffs, Denver decided to go offense over defense, and they played Marcus Howard over Shaq Harrison. I did not expect them to do that. I did not expect Michael Malone to do that at all. But he did, and it worked in that first round. Marcus Howard worked. Marcus Howard didn't work in the second round, as things were blatantly clear, but I'm not sure that Shaq Harrison would have worked either, to be frank. Uh, Denver needed to score in that series, and they just couldn't. They couldn't find a way to keep up with the formula that the Suns had established. Biggest surprise from Shaq Harrison's time here, got some occasional stops against Damian Lillard, especially in game two of that series against the Blazers. Uh, Shaq was out there for a couple of key stops, and that's very important. Uh, You never know where the contributions are going to have to come from, Uh, but Shaq Harrison was not somebody that I expected to contribute, so the fact that he did, as small as it was, was really great. Nothing else was really surprising in his time from Denver, and nothing else was really disappointing. Like, Denver brought him in on a two-way contract. To expect anything from him so late in the year would just be dumb. It would just, it would just be outlandish, in my opinion. His grade for the year, he gets a C+. 
He basically did everything that he was like expected to do, which was mostly nothing, but he gets a plus for getting a couple stops in key moments and helping Denver advance. That was his job. What's next for Shaq Harrison? He's going to be a free agent. The Nuggets, they're probably going to let him walk. I wouldn't expect them to retain him. Maybe they do. Maybe if he does return, like it's on a minimum contract or something close to it. Maybe they give him some guaranteed money. Uh, He is a great defender, and Denver could definitely use great defenders. But what they have understood about themselves is that the Nuggets are at at their best when they get offensive players to commit to defense because those guys can always fall back on what they're good at in a playoff situation. In a playoff situation, if the defensive player can't shoot at all, then they're going to be a liability. And that's why Shaq didn't play. So I don't know what the end game is with him. I wonder if Denver uses that two-way spot to try to bring in another young player, somebody who they can throw a, a flyer at the wall at, see if they could get somebody who can contribute in a big way. I doubt that it's going to be Shaq. Maybe it is. You never know. But that's it for those two. When we come back, we're going to break down Falco Campazzo and break down Austin Rivers. We'll be right back. Final segment, pickaxe and roll. Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you can, would love if you could share out this podcast. Uh, rate, review, and subscribe. Five stars. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get it. Always sharing would be awesome. It just it just makes all the difference in the world. So thank you. Let's get to Faku. Faku Kampazo. I was excu- I was accused of being a Faku hater, and to be clear. There were some aspects of Faku's game that I really zeroed in on and thought, okay, this is not great. This is something that I'm going to complain about the entire year. And whether it's something that he can control, whether it's actually his fault or not, it was something that really stood out to me. But here's what really happened with Faku this year. He started slow, came over from uh, Europe, came over from EuroLeague, uh, And I thought that he didn't really fit in. It took him a while, and it took a while for the Nuggets to figure out how to use him. They tried to shoehorn him into a role. They were playing Monte Morris, Will Barton at the same time as Faku. They were having those guys try to share ball handling responsibilities. But really what it came down to was the guys who Denver had already were handling the ball, and Faku was just kind of being a a spot-up guy, being an off-ball guy, somebody who didn't have the ball in his hands and wasn't really using his skill set to his best advantage. The Nuggets weren't helping him there. He worked his way in slowly. Uh, The injuries really helped his cause. Um, Having Michael Porter out, then having P.J. Dozier out, then Gary Harris then Will Barton at times, then Jamal Murray, then Monte Morris twice, then Will Barton again, then Dozier again. Having all of those guys out at different intervals and Faku basically being healthy for the entire season, that really worked in his favor because he got to work through some of his issues. He got to work through some of the pacing stuff 
that he didn't really know how to deal with and the Nuggets didn't really know how to manage with him. But he stayed in the rotation because those injuries never ceased and then established himself. Solid backup point guard. I don't want people to like overstate it. Like, I think he was a solid backup. He wasn't elite. He wasn't a starting caliber guy. He wasn't a guy that was unplayable. He was who he was at the NBA level. And basically what the Nuggets brought him in to be was a solid backup. Had an up and down playoffs. Had some great moments. Uh, Whether it was in the playoffs, whether it was in other games. His hustle really stood out and really helped the Nuggets. Really helped others be who they could be. Because they couldn't do what Faku was doing. Monte Morris said as much that there just wasn't any, like he wasn't able to do all of the hustle stuff because, like, Faku's just an energizer bunny, just has the boundless energy, the willingness, the grit, the effort. And that's what you love about him. But when he got to the playoffs, he was up and down, basically what he was. But he was thrust into a starting role. He was a solid backup point guard that was thrust into a starting position. And that never really helps people when they're asked to do a bunch more than they previously thought. There were definitely times where Faku improved beyond that. Like, I thought his three-point shooting was really good. 39.6% from three on nearly five attempts per game in the playoffs. 9.3 points, 4.1 assists. Those are some pretty good numbers. The two-point shooting was an issue. His ability to get to the rim, to keep defenses honest in that situation, it didn't really help his cause. He wasn't the problem by any stretch of the word, but he didn't have a major counter. Uh, The biggest surprise was the three-point shooting, though. That was his biggest question mark coming over to the NBA. Like, Could he adjust to a longer three-point line? And he really has to catapult the ball up there. Really has to get some momentum behind it. But he got it there consistently. And 39% in the playoffs, 35% in the regular season, that'll do. That's consistent enough. Biggest disappointment, like I said, it's the two-point range. It's the ability to drive to the rim, finish at the rim, or pull up from two, mix in some floaters, mix in some bank shots, things like that. Any way that when he handles the ball, he's a threat with the ball. Not just somebody who you know is going to pass to somebody else. And that was what I think really stood out with him and and one of his big weaknesses. So I'm giving him a B. Like I, I don't think I'm being unfair in saying that he deserves a B. He wasn't an elite backup point guard, but he was solid. And I think the Nuggets, they didn't know whether whether he would be great when he came over. They trusted him. They they put some faith into him. And he rewarded that. And he helped Denver win a couple extra games here or there with his hustle, with his grit, with his toughness, and with some surprising shooting ability. The Nuggets asked him to do what he was best at by the end of the year. Making the effort plays. Making the passes. Threading the needle. And he did that well. The weaknesses, though, they were on full display. Not being able to score at the rim, not being able to go off the dribble, 
those were big issues at times. And that's why Denver had to bench him. They went to Monte Morris and Will Barton in that final game four for a reason. They probably should have done it sooner. Just makes Denver more dynamic on the offensive end. What's next for Faku, though? Faku's under contract. He's got another year left on his deal. He should be back in Denver. I would be surprised if he wasn't. I hope that he continues to try to develop that off-the-dribble scoring game. Because I think that's the most important part of being an NBA guard. Being able to stick in this league. You have to be a threat at all times. Teams can't just go under every screen. If they do, and if you let them, then you're playing into their hands. And there's just not enough that I think he can do at that moment. But if he develops as a shooter, then maybe he could play some big playoff minutes going forward. He had some big minute games in these playoffs. Don't get me wrong. But like, Denver lost a lot of those minutes. And whether it was his fault or not, I I think that he wasn't a part of the solution. So as he continues to work, as he continues to improve, which I think he can, he's still a rookie, still somebody who's adjusting, I think he can do this. I think he needs to develop that off-the-dribble game, like whether it's a floater, whether it's a, just a push shot, whether it's a, a stop-and-pop two-pointer, whatever it is, whether it's like a a quick fake and then getting all the way to the rim and getting the ball high off the glass. Very few guards in the NBA handle the ball as much as he does and don't shoot two pointers. The two other guards that I found as comparison points for people that played as much as him and shot threes as much as him while also being a facilitator and handling the ball were Lonzo Ball and Devontae Graham. Devante is an elite three-point shooter, somebody that you want to take those shots, and he takes all those shots off the dribble from three, just not from two. Lonzo, he does everything else. He's kind of a Swiss army knife on the floor. Uh, so he's just a guy who, like, I don't think you can really compare Faku's game to his because Lonzo's like six seven, and just has the ability to do some other things. But maybe Faku can do those eventually. We'll just have to see. All right, Austin Rivers now. Final one before we head out of here. Austin Rivers was not somebody that I expected to be a Nuggets hero at the beginning of the season. That is for certain. But he signed with the Nuggets on April 20th following the Jamal Murray injury. Took them a little bit to get him in. And they asked him to do a lot way too soon. Wasn't his fault. He never complained. Never said he was being asked to do too much. Just was a professional about it all the way around. In his minutes for Denver this year, he averaged 27 minutes a night in the regular season and 30.5 minutes per game in the playoffs. That's nuts. Somebody who just was like he was in Denver for a month. And then was averaging 30 minutes per game at the playoffs because they needed him to. There was no other choice. He came in and he bought into the culture. Played like a nugget. Somebody who understood the value of Nikola Jokic. Understood the value of teamwork. The willingness to get things done together. And keep that team first mentality. 
He came in here and was a great veteran piece. He had high points on the court, low points, but mostly the high, like the notable ones were the high points. Game three versus the Blazers, 21 points, 16 in the fourth, hit five threes. Game five, Damian Lillard's going off for 55 and 10. Nothing anybody can do. Austin Hervis is literally praying to the gods, thanking them that the one time that he left Damian Lillard open and Lillard missed, he thanked the gods. Still had 18 points and I think 7 assists in that game. Helped Denver win it. And then in game 6, helped close that game out with some outside shooting. Some very important shots. Some very important drives. He was the primary defender on Dame. I think that was the most surprising thing for me. He gave Denver great defensive minutes against the Blazers. Didn't always succeed. Didn't always, like, make the right play. But he made it most of the time. And going up against the Blazers, the Blazers were the second best regular season offense in the NBA for a reason. Lillard was that good. They had a great formula. Denver had to figure it out. And they couldn't have figured it out without Austin Rivers. My opinion. He spent time on Dame. Spent time on CJ. Spent time on Norman Powell. Was good on switches. I thought Austin Rivers was very impactful. Maintained his composure throughout that first round. Biggest disappointment? Probably that there were no big scoring moments against the Suns. He had those moments against the Blazers. Never really found a rhythm again against the Suns. But that would have been too much to ask, frankly. Everything was too much to ask for Denver. They have Jamal Murray for that reason. They have Will Barton for that reason. Both of those guys were injured. Barton came back late. Just wasn't the same quite yet. Austin Rivers, asking him to do anything more than he already did, would have been insane. Which is why the grade I'm going to give him is an A. Doesn't get an A+, wasn't perfect. But he came in. And he provided a major impact in the playoffs after four weeks with the team. People don't understand how impressive that is. He had to learn all the terminology. He had to learn people's names. He had to establish team chemistry. That he wasn't going to leave these guys out to dry. And he had to stay in basketball shape during that time when he wasn't playing for the Knicks. When he was traded to the Thunder and then the Thunder cut him. He had to stay in shape, he had to stay ready, and he did. That's exactly what you want. Did exactly what he was asked to do, and then some. Gave Denver scoring, but was also a solid defender throughout. What's next for Austin Rivers? He's a free agent. Denver will surely be interested in bringing him back. Uh, There might be extenuating circumstances as to whether they could do that. Uh... They have a limited amount of cash. They have a limited amount of roster spots and the ability to sign different players. If Will Barton comes back, then I doubt that Denver could afford Austin Rivers. He's acquitted himself really well, and I would assume that other teams are going to be looking at what he did in Denver and thinking, yeah, he could do that for us. He could definitely do that for us. Now, fit is very important as the Nuggets well know. And Rivers fit in really well. What if Barton takes off? 
What if the Nuggets have to figure out what to do without Will Barton in the fold? Maybe it's best to add Austin Rivers. Maybe it's best to keep him back. Add him to that guard rotation. And say you approach things and you go with Monte, PJ as the starters. But then you have Faku Composo and Austin Rivers as the main backups. Those guys could potentially help Denver get through the year as Murray gets back and gets into full strength. And then you figure it out from there. But I think that Denver, they're going to need to find a way to survive. Maybe it's Austin Rivers. Maybe he's somebody who can really help them get through that. I don't know. They might have other ideas. They might want to bring in other people. Uh, If they do lose Will Barton, and they let's say they lose Jermichael Green, then they have the mid-level exception that they can use to add somebody, uh, basically up to a four-year, $40 million contract, somewhere around 9.2 mil in the first season. That could get a pretty decent player. It's probably overqualified to bring back Austin Rivers, but it could get a decent player, somebody to help them on the wing. It wouldn't surprise me if Denver had to go that route. If Will Barton wasn't back, if he decided to move on, go somewhere else, and then Denver had to pivot because Murray's already out anyway. So we're going to see. We're going to see what Denver does. There's going to be a lot of time to answer some of these questions. Uh, Barton, his player option, he's going to decide on that in a likelihood, I think, uh, July 17th or so. I think that's the the deadline that he has. That's going to come. And then we're going to talk about it. We're going to figure it out. That's it for the guards. Uh, We'll be talking about the forwards and the bigs in the subsequent episodes. And that is going to do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I will be back on Friday with the forwards, as I mentioned. Michael Porter, Aaron Gordon, Vlako Chanchar, uh, Bull Bull, and Jamichael Green going to be talking about all those guys, some of the, the decisions that Denver has with those extensions, with Jamichael Green, and we'll figure it out from there. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, would love if you could leave a five-star review. It'd be super, super cool. I'll talk to you guys very soon. Peace.